Turn to Psalm 107, if you will. So we've been through Psalm 1 through 106 so far in our Psalms for the Summer Series. We look back, and I believe that we started this in what year was it, Liz? 09. So we went 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We are in our eighth year of Psalms in the summer. And I'm trying to do 17 Psalms, and then 17 and 17, and we'd be done uh, within three years. That's my, that's my goal. And we will have gone through 150 Psalms. I do not know anybody in my life. I know that Spurgeon wrote a three-volume commentary on the Psalms, but I don't know anybody that's preached through 150 Psalms. So I'm sure there are people that have done that. I don't know anybody that's preached, if there are, I don't know any of them who preach verse by verse through 150 Psalms. And today we have 43 verses that we're going to cover. We covered 43 last time. We covered 43 the time before that. How do you do that? Uh, <laughs> very quickly. That is, that is the answer. Okay, so you'll notice in your Bible that Psalm 107 begins book 5 of the Psalms. There are, the Psalms are divided into five books or five sections. This is the, the uh, first Psalm in book 5. We're not certain when Psalm 107 was written, but we think it was written after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Babylon was a great empire, came down, swept through Jerusalem, destroyed the city, captured the Jews, and the Jews went into 70 years of captivity. We believe this psalm was probably written after that because another great kingdom arose called Persia. Persia defeated the Babylons, Babylonians, and the king of Persia, Cyrus, gave permission to the Jews to go back to their homeland. And a small group took him up on the proposition. And they went back to Jerusalem. So we think that this is where they are. And this psalm is written during this period of time. Now, I want to show you some special features of the psalms before we go verse by verse. Okay? And this will help us uh, to go through the psalm very quickly once you see these features. The first thing I want you to notice is that this psalm includes a refrain or a chorus. You see that in verse 1. And here it is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You see, that? that's the chorus. You will see it also in verse 8. Uh, it says, is it in verse 8? Where is it? Verse, where is it? Verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Okay, look, get down to verse 15. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So that's the refrain of the chorus, verse 21. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And you see it again in verse 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. So we have this refrain or this chorus. We are given in each one of these choruses the reason we're to give thanks for the Lord. So this, for example, let's look at verse 1. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Look at the first reason. For he is good. That's reason number one. And then look at reason number two. For his mercy endures forever. Uh, which means that he has this compassion uh, that is ongoing and it's never exhausted. He's always uh, merciful and compassionate toward us because he's established a covenant that he keeps. Uh, this idea is repeated also in verse 8. Notice, 
it says, men should give thanks to the Lord is the reason for his goodness. That's reason number one. And then look at number two. For his wonderful works to the children of men. Two reasons that we're to give thanks to the Lord. Number one, because of his character. He is good. And second of all, we're to give thanks to the Lord because he intervenes on our behalf. In verse 1, that simply is described as his mercy endures forever. And how does it manifest itself? He intervenes on our behalf. You'll also see that in verse 15. Give thanks to the Lord because of his goodness. Look at this. And for his wonderful work to the children of men. Look down at verse 21. For his goodness and for his wonderful works toward or to the children of men. You'll see it again in verse 31. For his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Which means that he intervenes on our behalf and he sets us free. He rescues us from the dilemmas that we're in. Okay? So let me give you the outline. Here's how I'm going to divide these 43 verses. Section number one covers verses one through three. And we're going to label this the call to thanksgiving. This is where we're invited to give thanksgiving, verses one through three. Section number two, the history of God's intervention. What he does on our behalf. That begins at verse four and it goes down to verse 42. We're going to discover six situations in which he intervenes on our behalf and rescues us throughout history. Okay? And then section number three is verse 43, and that's the conclusion. Okay? So let's divide the book that way, and let's go down verse by verse. First of all, the call to offer thanksgiving. Now you're going to see, the first thing you're going to see in verse, in this section, is there are two instructions. Okay? Two instructions. Instruction number one, give thanks to the Lord. Okay? Why are we to give thanks? Because of who he is, he's good. And because of what he does, his mercy endures forever. Okay? That's instruction number one. Give thanks, and then there are the reasons for giving thanks. Instruction number two, found in verse two. Look what else we're to do. Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. Say, so. Say what? <coughs> that he is good. good and that his mercy endures forever and he comes to our rescue. He redeems us. So we are to speak it to others. We are to share that story with others. <clears throat> then it goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so in verse 2. Whom he has redeemed, where has he redeemed them? From what? The hand of the enemy. See, the hand of the enemy. This is why we think that this probably is a post-Babylonian captivity song. The people have now been redeemed. The people have been delivered from the hand of the enemy. And look what it says in verse 3. And he has gathered them out of the lands... See, they were scattered. He's gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. He has gathered them. See, they are now back in their land. Does that make sense to you? So that is the instruction to give thanks and to tell other people about God's redemptive action. Okay. 
Now remember, he's writing to a group of people in the present. There's an audience that he's writing to and uh, who are going to sing this song. And they are to thank God and they are to tell others about his great redemptive action and how he in history has redeemed people. That's sort of like an introduction. Okay? Now, we come to part number two. We have the history of his intervention. How has he redeemed the people throughout history? Okay? There's six situations that the writer describes. Okay? Situation number one. He has come to the rescue when they've been displaced and when they have wandered aimlessly throughout life. So look at verse number four. They wandered. Notice the they. Do you see that? They wonder, wondered, <coughs> that's people in the past, in the wilderness, in a desolate way, they found no city to dwell in, to live in, to make their home. Uh, probably describing the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, we're not sure, or some other time when the people were scattered, but this was their condition. They were wanderers and they were displaced. They had no stability, no place to dwell, no comfort, always on the go. Look at verse 5. Look what else they were. They were hungry and thirsty. That was their physical condition. They hungered and they thirsted. Now their emotional condition, their soul fainted in them. They had given up hope. They were in a state of depression. So this is the situation. Why was Israel in this condition? Why did they wonder? Why couldn't they find the city? It was because they sinned. See, God made an agreement or a contract with them, and he said, if you do this, I'll take care of you. And guess what? They didn't do it. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. But guess what God did? He keeps his end of the bargain. And God is going to come to the rescue, but he's going to allow them to wander for a while. So that's the situation. Some of us, we haven't been wandering in the desert for 40 years, but many people I know have been going in circles all their lives. They've been spinning their wheels, and guess what? They've been getting nowhere. And they wonder why. <laughs> you know, why, what's, why am I in this condition? And uh, sometimes what it takes to get out of that condition is to reach a, reach a point of desperation. And so that's what the children of Israel do. So look at verse 6. Then, so after they were physically you know, distraught and emotionally distraught, look at this, and bankrupt spiritually. Then, verse 6, they cried to the Lord. All caps. Do you see that? That's the one who made the contract with them, Jehovah, Yahweh. They cried to the Lord when? In their trouble. So there is their act of desperation. Look how God responded. And he, what? Delivered them, see? Out of their distresses and led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Now, when you compare verse 4, where it says at the end of verse 4, they found no city. And then you go to verse 7, that he led them to a city. Notice he solved their problem. They had no place to abide, and now he gives them a place to abide. That they, have, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. And then you have the refrain. You have the chorus. In light of that, guess what? 
Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. Now, I can somewhat imagine this being sung because a psalm is a song that is to be sung. And I could see maybe a soloist getting up and starting to say, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. You can see just sort of singing the song, right? And then you can see after, and he tells the story. They hungered, they, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then after God delivering them, now you hear the choir. The whole congregation comes in and they say, Oh, you know, thank God for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then verse 9, which is very interesting, you can see this. For he satisfies the longing of the soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. I can see sort of an antiphonal response after the, the choir says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Everybody sings the refrain. For his, and then I can see somebody say, or one side of the audience say, And for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then another side responds, for he satisfies the longing of the soul. So when you're dealing with a song like this, you should try to imagine in your mind how it's going to be sung in the congregation. Okay? So it's written at a certain point, and then it's going to be sung, maybe for generations amongst the Jewish people. Try to imagine that. So situation number one is they're wandering, and he delivers them when they cry out for help. Okay, look at situation number two, verse 10. Those who sat in darkness, this is another historical situation, and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Situation number two, when they were prisoners. Situation number one, when they were wanderers. Now they're in another situation. They are prisoners and they are in leg irons. Do you see that? Irons. Notice their condition. Stated as darkness and the, in the shadow of death. Where have you seen that phrase, the shadow of death, before? Psalm 23. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? Thou art with me. Okay. So that should make you think of that psalm. So here they are, they're prisoners, and they're in some dark dungeon. And guess what? We should know something that they had forgotten. We should know that God's with them. And they don't even recognize that God is with them. What's the reason for their condition? Look at verse 11. Here's the reason they're prisoners. Because they what? They rebelled against the words of God. And despised the counsel of the Most High. They didn't listen to what He wanted them to do. Therefore, look what God did. He brought them down. Brought down their heart with labor. And they fell down. And there was none to help. So here they are in their condition. They're prisoners. And guess what? It was God's doing Sometimes the situation we're in is because we rebel, and this is how God responds. He puts you in a situation that you can't get out of, and this is the situation that they were in. So guess what that does? That leads them to an act of desperation. So look at verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Have you seen that before? Yes, that phrase is being repeated over and over throughout the psalm as well. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Does God respond? Let's see how he responds. And he saved them out of their distresses. And he brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death. And he broke their chains in pieces. Okay. 
So again, we see these God's response. Why are they in that situation? Because they rebelled. Why does God deliver them? Because He's good. He is good, and His mercy endures forever. See, so that's what you need to realize. Now comes the refrain. Look at verse 15. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He has broken the gates of bronze. See, this is like the jails. And cut the bars of iron in two. So that's situation number two. He's delivered them from the prisons. Okay, look at situation number three, beginning in verse 17. In this situation, he delivers them from sickness or bad health. Okay, verse 17. Fools, because of their what? Always their fault. Okay. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. In other words, they suffered. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. These are people who have gotten sick, they've lost their appetites, and they are on the verge of death. So they are without hope. So what do they do? In an act of desperation, look at verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. That's always the best thing to do when you're in a mess. Look how God responded. And he saved them out of their distresses. And he sent his word and, look, healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Now, when you begin to see these situations, this sort of sounds a lot like Jesus and his ministry. Uh, Jesus does things like God does things. Uh, in Luke 4, he said, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. And you're going to see how this fits into the passage. Uh, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. See, he healed them. What does Jesus say? I've come to give what? Sight to the blind. I wish Homer Adams were here. He did it through his word. He has a word for you. You know what it is? Rise up and be healed in the name of Jesus. If you can believe that, that word's for you. So Jesus comes and he heals the blind and he it says... He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To give sight to the blind. And to set the what? Captives free. Set the prisoners free. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. And we see it lived out on a daily, in a daily situation in the life of Jesus. So, he heals those sick people. Then in verse 21... We have the courts. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of praises and declare his works with rejoicing. Very similar to verse 11. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Okay, now the next situation, beginning in verse 23. Here's the situation they're in. Dangers at sea. Wanderings, prisons, Sickness, and now fourth, dangers at sea. So let's look at verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders, wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lift up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. Like swales, and they go down swells, and they go down to the depths. 
Their souls melt because of troubles. They reel to and fro and they stagger like drunken men. These are the salt sailors. This is how they the condition. They are at their wits end. What are we going to do? This ship is going to sink. See? So they are at their wits end. Then they cry out to the Lord. And what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. Uh, when you think of this situation here, think of the story of Jonah. We have sailors and ships, the ship that's in this exact same condition. And you know why that ship is in that condition and why they're fighting against the terrible storm at sea? Those soldiers who've done nothing wrong? Why are they fighting for their life? Because Jonah's on board. A sinner's on board. So what do they have to do? They have to get rid of Jonah. Some of you are going through storms of life because somebody is in around you and surrounding you. And they're the ones that are causing the storms in your life. Sometimes you have to separate yourself from such people. Otherwise, you'll never find a solution. So what they do in verse 28, they cry out to the Lord in their act of desperation. And then how does God respond? And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm. Same thing that happened with Jonah. Soldiers, the sailors said, what are we going to do? They cried out, what are we going to do? And somebody said, well, maybe we got somebody on board. And so they threw him over. He calms the storm until the waves are still. Then they're glad because they're quiet. And so he guides them to their desired haven. They end up making it to shore. Okay, verses 31 and 32, we have the refrain or the chorus. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Why are they thanking him? Because he's delivered. Because he's been good, he's delivered. For his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him, look where they're to exalt him. In the assembly of the people. And praise him in the company of the elders. This is why we believe that they're now back in the, their homeland, back into Jerusalem, and they are now gathering in an assembly, maybe in the temple, and their elders here, they're ministering, and that's where the praise should be done. So, that is the next situation when there are dangers at sea. And then we the fifth situation, okay? Fifth situation is drought. Before you had problems with water, now you have problems without water. Okay. So we have drought. Look at verse 33. He turns the rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness. Why does he do it? For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. So here we have a situation where a drought hits because the people are wicked. Okay, so that's the drought situation. And uh, sometimes our lives are unproductive, they're unfruitful, and we wonder why we don't see any results in our life. We have a drought, a dry period in our life. Maybe this is the reason. Okay, look at the solution here. Look at verse 35. He turns the wilderness into the pools of water. Now notice this time it doesn't say they cried out to him. Do you notice that? Suddenly you're not going to find that in the rest of the psalm where they cry out to him. 
And guess what else you're not going to find in the rest of the song? You're not going to find the chorus in the rest of the song. <laughs> so now we have to determine whether we're supposed to know, because he's given us a pattern. Guess what? That's what they did. He's just not going to keep telling us over and over and over again. Or maybe God has just intervened on their behalf when they didn't even cry out to him, because that's how good he is. We just don't know that. So look what happens in verse 35. He turned the wilderness into pools of water. Notice how things get reversed. And the dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry well. That they may establish a city for a dwelling place. Notice how some of these other issues are coming back. When they were hungry, now they're going to have food. No city, that he said earlier on. Verse 37. And sow fields and they plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply the reproduction. And he does not let their cattle decrease. Okay, so that's the next situation. Drought and he reverses the drought. Okay, now the sixth situation that the people found themselves in. In this situation, they find themselves oppressed because of bad national leadership. Okay. They were oppressed when they were under Babylonian leadership. But guess what? Now they're back in their homeland and it's their own leaders. And guess what? They're being depressed. Their own leaders are no better than the pagan leaders. Okay. So they're oppressed because of basically corrupt and bad leaders. So look at verse 39. When they are diminished and brought low, how? From what? Through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. When that's their case, even in their homeland, he pours contempt on princes. That is the leaders of the nation. He pours contempt on the princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness. Look who's now wandering in the wilderness. The leaders, are, the leaders have been given the left foot of fellowship, kicked right out. And now they're thrown out and wandering in the wilderness. Sort of interesting, isn't it? So that's verse 40. He pours contempt on the princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet, look at verse 41. Yet, he sets the poor on high. Jesus said, I'm anointed to preach the good news to the poor. What's the good news for the poor? Out from under the oppressive leadership. Look. Yet, verse 41, he sets the poor on high, far from affliction. Notice, they were under affliction in verse 39, weren't they? Because of bad leadership. But now, in verse 41, he sets the poor where? On high, far from affliction. And he makes their families like a flock. They begin to multiply. The righteous see it. And guess what they do? They rejoice. Okay. They probably say, oh, thank the Lord for he is good. You know, even though that's not mentioned here, that's probably what they do. They rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. That's when God takes control of a nation and of a people. 
So what we have here is the fortunes are reversed. The princes are now destitute, and the people who were oppressed are now wealthy, and they're multiplying, and God helps them, helps us. He intervenes on behalf of the marginalized. You know, I wish I could tell you something differently as a Bible teacher. You just can't go and read the Old Testament and the New Testament unless you don't read every verse. You can't read the Old Testament and the New Testament without realizing that God is really concerned people. And if God's concerned for the poor people, and Jesus is concerned for the poor people, guess what? We should be concerned for the poor people. It's really important. How that works out is another story. I'm just saying that that poor people are on the heart of Jesus and on the heart of God. So now we come to the conclusion, the big third section, one verse, and he gives us a little bit of advice. Whosoever is wise will do what? Listen, observe these things. Observe what thing? Everything that's been said in the psalm. That uh, God is good. That you can count on him. His mercy endures forever. That he intervenes on behalf of these people. And it says, whoever is wise will observe. It doesn't mean just to see. It means you to think about it. Meditate on it. You know, turn it over in your mind. Uh, uh, learn the lessons of this psalm. Who will learn the lessons of the psalm? Whoever is wise. Do you see that in verse 43? Now the fool won't learn anything from this psalm. This is a historical psalm. It gives you six situations in history that we're to learn from. Now what? If you don't learn the lessons of history, you're bound to what? Repeat them. See, that's the basic message that we're to learn the lessons from this psalm. Observe them. Do what's right. Don't do the mistakes. They got themselves into trouble because they sinned. Hey, learn the lesson. Don't do that. You don't have to end up in that situation. And it goes on to say, in verse, end of verse 43, there's a result. Whoever is wise will observe these things. And they will look. As a result, understand the loving kindness, the covenant love, the compassion of Yahweh. And so that's the song. Written for a song. Written at first. Just the lyrics. Music added to it later on. And then sung in the congregation on a regular basis. Uh, maybe during Passover season, and different times where the congregation would sing the song and these lessons would be repeated, the history would be repeated over and over and over again so you would never forget. And that's the purpose of this. So I think, you know, there's a lesson for us that regardless of what our situation is, and we all have situations, regardless of what caused us to get into those situations, if I learn a lesson from this psalm, I know something. I know that God is good and His mercy endures forever, and I can cry out to Him and He'll what? He'll deliver me from that situation. See, so often that's the last action we take. We try to get ourselves out of situations. Uh, and I'm not talking about just normal situations. But, you know, let's face it, some people that you know, maybe even in this past, have like that first group of people just wandered aimlessly throughout life. You know, 
I can make an analogy for these historical situations in our own lives. Others are prisoners. Prisoners to addictions. Prisoners to imagination. Prisoners to all kinds of things. Literal prisoners, some of them. Others are sick. They don't know why they're sick. The writer John says, you know, is there any sick among you? James says, is there any sick among you? Let them call upon the elders of the church. John says, if you're sick because you've sinned, you can ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive your sin. And the sickness is really, some of us are sick, like these people. And he sent his word, and he healed them. Some of us are adrift in the sea of life. Danger all around us. Some of us are in a dry period. Some of us are poor and oppressed because of leaders that we're under. Whether we're teenagers and we live in a home where there's some father who's Never, maybe you were in a home like that. Never heard your father say one kind word, pat you on the back. That was good. And you're, you're suffering from that. Others have worked for bosses that are the same way. I remember when I was a teenager, went to uh, this place where they sold pots and pans. <laughs> Answered one of those ads where you sell pots and pans door to door, you know. I, Stayed there for about 50 minutes. <laughs> this guy was like a dictator. It was like I was, you, you're working for Hitler. And I said, I cannot work for somebody like this. You have an oppressive boss. Same with nations. Just think about nations and how the people are basically oppressed. And so when we do, when we see this, there's a, there are ways out, you know. And we need to learn these lessons. I think probably in that song, the Amazing Grace song, you know, uh, through what dangers, toils, snares. You know, I have already come. What's the rest of it? Through through grace, grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. That's what these people needed. God's grace, God's mercy led them home, gave them a city where they could dwell, and he went to Psalm 107. Next week we'll do Psalm 108, which actually has a superscription connected to it. It's called a song, a psalm of David. So now we know exactly when Psalm 108 was written. It was written during the reign of David. That's what we'll pick up next week. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. Many verses, major lessons, help us to take these lessons to heart. Thank you, Lord, for this Bible study, this Sunday school class, where we can open your word, go down verse by verse, allow your word to speak to us, not only as a class, but as individuals. I ask, Lord, that you take your word and apply it to each one of our situations, whatever we, condition we find ourselves in. Help us to learn the lessons, Lord. This song, in Christ's name, amen.